coach is so long. Mom, Dad, Grandpa's here, bye! I wish you could still drive, Grandpa. Sorry, we're closed. You're cute. But come on, it's Christmas Eve. Fine. Five minutes. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Would you like that gift wrapped? Yes, please. Oh, I'm so sorry. How much? This much. Seriously. I'm just saying, if Jesus isn't in it, then what's the point of even celebrating? I get it. It's just. Tough. He's more than a little piece. He's the reason for the whole thing. Fine. Christmas is canceled. canceled.
Well, Merry Christmas. All right, have some tissues available for you um, after that. I, I told Chris, our, our uh, arts director on Friday, I said, I need to see the end of this video so that I don't get up to cry, you know, to start this. So I desensitized myself, watched it five times on Friday. So I'm a, I'm a hardened, cynical person again. That's a good thing. So it's good to have you here. Those of you in the law, thanks for joining us. And on uh, live, live, okay, at home, see ya. There, good to have you here as well. We are so excited to be together today. We're so excited that you're here uh, to join in really with billions of people across the planet on this weekend in every kind of setting imaginable on every continent and who knows how many different languages and people groups gathered together like this to celebrate this incredible birth of the Son, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and to celebrate it not as some myth or some legend and not just as a, a cultural tradition, but we gather to celebrate it as an actual event of history 2,000 years ago, but not just an event that was happening 2,000 years ago, an actual event of history that personally impacts us today. And many of us in this room would say it has transformed our lives and we base our entire eternity on this event, and that is the birth of Jesus Christ. And I'm so glad that you're here as we've been able to sing and uh, rejoice and celebrate the birth of this child for every single one of you. For some of you, I'm more glad that you're here than you are, and I get that. Some of you would not choose to be up this early on a Sunday morning. Some of you are here under compulsion, and, and, and I'm grateful that you're here. I really am. I'm glad you're here. Some of you, it's just it's an internal kind of an obligation of guilt, Christmas, I ought to show up at church, whatever, that kind of thing. Glad you're here. For some of you, it's an external motivation. There's a little bit of pressure from maybe a family member or some friends and you're here for that. And, and if that's the case for you, I'm just saying leverage this thing as a negotiation tool. You just go to them and say, hey, listen, I went to church for you, and then you ask for whatever you want. You just kind of leverage that. Some of you really, you're like, you're maybe a little uncomfortable, and you can identify with a situation that Stormy found herself in. Stormy was not raised in church, didn't grow up going to church, didn't feel comfortable in church, didn't feel like she belonged in church. But Stormy was forced to go to church, and not just to go to church, but to participate. And it made her very uncomfortable. And maybe some of you can, can relate to that kind of a situation. She was forced to go to the old Reformed church outside of Philadelphia. This is a true story. And not only to go to that church, but to participate in their live nativity. And she had to participate in the role of the cow. <laughs> Which wasn't that odd, because Stormy is a cow. And Stormy, feeling like she's not a church cow, decided to break out. True story, a couple of weeks ago, the Philadelphia police got a call at 2 in the morning that Stormy had broken out of the nativity scene and was spotted grazing by I-95, the interstate highway, at 2 a.m. To which you may be wondering, why would a cow graze by a freeway at 2 a.m.? Because the bars are closed at 2, and where else is a cow to go? So the, the, the officers went and wrangled her and led her back to the stable. And in fact, I've got a picture of, of Stormy. I mean, you can see her. And, and look at this, this look of disgust, like, really? You're taking me back to the church again? I, I got to go? And, and look at this line. Cow escapes from church again. Because four hours after the little um, grazing by the freeway deal, four hours later, she broke out again. And they found her on the fourth floor of a parking garage downtown Philadelphia. <laughs> this is brilliant. Why go to the fourth floor of a parking garage? 
Because who would ever look for a cow on the fourth floor of a parking garage? Amazing, this cow, Stormy. And some of you may say, I identify with her. Get me to a parking garage. And I just want to say to you, if you'll just endure another 30 minutes or so, you've got it taken care of. And here's the cool thing about being at 9 a.m. You have the rest of the day free to do whatever you want. You can watch the game if you want. You can finish up that shopping. Or if you're like I used to be, you can start your shopping, and it's great. The beauty of starting your shopping on Christmas Eve is you don't have to make any choices. Just take whatever's left. It's all good. (laughs) Get all the presents you need right there. Hey, here at Cornwall Church, the last month, we've been in a series called Finest Gifts. And we've been looking at a piece of the Christmas story that is so incredibly familiar to most of us uh, about this whole thing of, of giving gifts It's about the Magi. They're often referred to as wise men. Sometimes we'll sing about them as being three kings. We don't know how many they were. We don't know if they were kings. Uh, Culturally, we can pretty much assume they were men, but that's about all we know about them. But it's this verse out of Matthew chapter 2, verse 11, that says this about them. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and they presented him with, with gifts. And they're fine gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. For the last three weeks, we've been looking at the significance, the value, the impact of these three gifts. And no doubt that our tradition of giving gifts and presents at Christmas find their roots in this story. These are the very first Christmas gifts that were ever given. And the fact that tomorrow we'll be exchanging gifts probably started with this, the very first Christmas gifts. But the concept of giving a gift at Christmas even predates these guys. In some respects, they're way late to the party. Because 700 years before they came around, 700 years before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah made a prediction. And in his prophecy, he talks about a gift. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Like there's this gift. And this was predicted way before it happened that there would be this gift of this son and the government would be on his shoulders. And then there's these pictures of why this would be the finest gift, this son that would be given. Because in our lives, in our marriages, in our homes, in our county, in our world, where there's such hardship and hurt and difficulty and brokenness, confusion, there are these titles of what this son would be the wonderful counselor, to deal with our hurt, to to work through our confusion, to have the wonderful counselor, the mighty God to give us the strength to, to face whatever we're going through in our world that is so fatherless and so isolated, to have an everlasting father, an eternal one that would call us sons and daughters and bring us into his family where we can belong. And in the chaos of our broken world, to have the Prince of Peace. You see, God gave this son, and this is the finest gift. When you begin to understand this, you begin to understand that Jesus was a perfect gift for an imperfect world. It's what we needed the most. And the Father says, this is the gift that I will give, and it will be the finest gift. You know, it's amazing to me and interesting how sometimes we get in this idea that God just wants to ruin everything for us, just take everything from us. Like if somehow we were to to connect with God, if somehow we were to, to surrender to him or submit to him or, or whatever, that he's just going to take everything away from us. Like his favorite command is, thou shalt do nothing. You know, just, I'm going to take your fun, your freedom, no, no, your dreams, any success for the future. I'm just going to take it all away. But what we see is all throughout, God has always been a giver. 
And I love how James put it. He says, do not be deceived. Don't believe this idea that God is a taker and just stealing all the good stuff of life. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father. Now you think about this. All the good gifts that you have in life, the friendships that you have, your families, your health, the beauty, the world where it's wonderful, these are all gifts from God. And the one that makes all of those pale in comparison is this gift, this finest gift of the son that was given to us. Now, chances are, if you've ever read the Christmas narrative in the Gospels, in the Bible, or if you've ever gone to a Christmas Eve service or to church, or if you ever watched the Charlie Brown Christmas special, you've heard the Christmas story. And it's amazing that it starts off with this line that seems to be like this throwaway line of historical context. In Luke chapter 2, it says, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Kind of just sets the historical context, but we just blaze right over that. I just kind of take you back in history. At this day and age, when this was written, Rome was the, the ruling power of the world, and the Roman Empire was expansive. I mean, it started there in Portugal, what today would be Portugal, and through Spain and France, even up into the UK, across Europe, into the Balkans, over into the Near East with, with Syria and Lebanon and Israel, over down into, into Egypt and into Northern Africa. I mean, it was massive. And there were millions of people, millions of people that were impacted by this one decision out of Rome. And here's what's so fascinating. When there was millions and millions and millions of people that were involved with this, 2,000 years later, the only ones we're even thinking about is this little obscure couple from a, 1,400 miles away from Rome in this little burg called Nazareth, and they traveled to this small little village called Bethlehem. And if it weren't for this story, most of us would have never, ever heard of Nazareth or Bethlehem. And it was all because of a decision that happened in Rome, and God used all of it. Now put that on hold, pause there. Because there was another decision that was made in Rome actually this year. And it has had brought about worldwide awareness and acclaim, not to the degree of a census, but it has, it has been recognized worldwide, this one decision that happened in Rome this year. And in Rome, uh, if you've ever been there, some of us have gone there uh, with, a, with a group from here, the, the center hub of Rome is an area called uh, the, the Piazza um, Venezia, I think is how you say it. The Piazza Venezia. It's a very famous area. It's kind of the hub. And in the Piazza uh, Venezia, they decided, as they do every year, to put a large Christmas tree, a public Christmas tree, a public display for their Christmas celebration. And it's become a bit controversial, partly because of the amount of money. It was harvested in the Alpine regions of Italy, and to transport it to uh, this piazza, it cost the equivalent of about 50,000 US dollars. So it was very expensive, and there was a little bit of controversy. But the thing that has really caused it to have notoriety throughout the world is that from the very day that they set it up, this expensive tree, 70 feet tall, this expensive tree began to shed an inordinate amount of needles. And like a lot, more than normal, more than what's in your living room. And it began to just shed more and more and more. And people of Rome were outraged, not only at the expense, but this eyesore, this embarrassment, that this, this tree has no business as being a part of our Christmas celebration. In fact, the people of Rome this year 
have nicknamed this tree. They call this tree, and I'm not making any of this up, Los Palacio. Say Spalaccio. No, say it like you're an Italian. Spalaccio. Come on, one more time. They have nicknamed this tree Los Spalaccio. Spalaccio, roughly translated, means the mangy one. Here's a picture of this tree. Oh, yeah. Oh, you feel so sorry for the tree. $50,000 tree shedding Los Palacio. It, it, it's the mangy one. And because of, of what was happening, now this was taken about a week ago, so it's gotten worse since then. But they decided they would put extra ornaments on it to compensate for all the needles that are falling off. What makes matters worse is less than two miles away, there's another country. It's a little country. It's a little country within the city of Rome. It's a country called the Vatican City. And less than two miles away, the Vatican City has put up their own tree. And unlike Los Palacio, the Vatican's tree is full and beautiful and perfect with all of its needles. And I got to thinking about this tale of two trees in Rome this year. I began to think about our Christmases and how so often we want our Christmases to be like that tree in the Vatican. We want them to be full and beautiful and perfect. We want it to be wonderful. We want it to be excellent. And the reality is that usually a tree that is perfect and beautiful like that is fake. But that's how we want our family to be like the tree in Vatican. We want our meal to be that way. We want our Christmas morning to be that way. Look at you. You're all dressed up. You look like the tree in the Vatican. But the reality of our lives in some of our homes, in our marriages, in our world, in our situation is that it looks a whole lot more spalaccio than Vatican. A lot more mangy. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to ask you with a vote, with a show of hands. And this is not in any way a judgment on anybody. I'm not asking you to make a value statement about anybody. It's merely an observation and an opinion about somebody. Do any of you know anybody, maybe in your family, now don't point at anybody, do you know anybody at all who's got a little bit of spalaccio in their life? Just show of hands. Know of anybody? Yeah. Maybe they don't have the most emotional intelligence. Maybe they're not the relationally the most mature person. Maybe they're clingy, needy, a little high maintenance. Maybe they don't have social graces. They say the wrong things. Maybe they're politically incorrect. Maybe they're spiritually way out there. Maybe they've got some stuff in their life. They say the wrong thing. They drink too much of this and that, these habits and all this stuff. There's circumstances and situations in their life, and they're a little bit more like a spalaccio tree. And here's the good news. is while we want this perfect Christmas, God did Christmas for people who have a little spalaccio in their life. And if you think about this, even the very first Christmas, the characters in that Christmas were all spalaccio characters. I mean, think this through. The central figures, Mary and Joseph, while, while they've got it going on spiritually, they are righteous people, their lives are far from perfect, far from beautiful. They've got a very difficult, mangy situation in their life. 
Here's this young couple, and they're very, very poor. They're in this first year of trying to figure out this marriage arrangement, so they've got the pressure of that. They're trying to make ends meet, and on top of that, Mary's pregnant. So now they're getting ready to have their first baby, which is going to change everything. They're going from two to three in the family, and all the stress of when is this baby going to come, and will it be a, 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 you know, a healthy birth and all of that. On top of that, it's tax season. Any of you ever feel stressed during tax season? So now they've got this new marriage, they've got a baby on the way, and they've got tax season, all this stress, and they have to go away from their home, away from their families, to another little area to pay these taxes. And while they're there, away from everybody they know, she gives birth to this baby. And in addition to that, if there's not enough stress, how would you like to have the pressure of saying, you have the responsibility to raise the Son of God? I mean, live with that one. Ruin your own kids, but the Son of God? So they've got that stress. And then because of the circumstances surrounding their lives, there's been some things probably that have been spoken about them because of what appeared to be their reputation is destroyed. There's been slander about their character. And on top of all that, when all of that happens, they have to flee their country as a refugee away from their home longing to come back. It's not a perfect situation. It's a spalaccio life. There's another couple in this story. They don't get as much airtime. They're an older couple. We don't know how old, but they're well along in years to where the point uh, where Zechariah and Elizabeth, where Zechariah says, I'm an old man. I don't know when you start saying that, but, but he's old. And they have spent their entire adult lives in frustration and disappointment and sadness in guilt and in shame because all they've ever wanted was a child and they're barren. And month after month, another disappointment. And year after year, more frustration. And in that culture, the thinking was, if you were barren, it was a curse from God. And to live without God, what have we done? Why, why are we not worthy? And their entire adult life has been overshadowed with this disappointment and frustration. It's a spalachi life. Then there's Herod. Let me just say, if any of your relatives have a part of their name, the great, you're in trouble. Herod's this narcissistic, insecure, self-centered, evil, power dictator. I mean, he's so insecure, he has two of his sons killed, one of his wives killed, and his barber killed. It's been stated it would be better to be a pig in Herod's household than one of his sons. And he's a part of the story. And there's the Magi, which we've talked about. And usually they're set up as these, these handsome, you know, wonderful, godly men who come. Listen, they've got no business being a part of this story. This is a Jewish story, and they're not Jewish. They're probably Persian. They're from the East. They don't follow the Torah. I mean, they're astrologers, and the Torah speaks against astrology. They're probably from some pagan religion, from the wrong ethnic group, and here they are. They've got no business being a part of the story. And then the shepherds. I mean, these are the Spalaccio brothers. These are the Spalaccios on steroids. They are the least likely to be a part of this story. They are the mangiest of all. Because the shepherd was a, a despised occupation. They weren't trusted. People would say, you know, if shepherds are there, keep a hand on your wallet. You can't trust them. They were so um, untrustworthy that a shepherd's uh, testimony was not valid in a court of law because you just couldn't trust them. And yet they're a part of this story. And it's amazing as you look at the characters of the very first Christmas, it's like, you remember that Rudolph movie where you had the island of misfit toys? It's like the whole character is this island of misfits. It's like, why would they be a part of God's Christmas story? 
It's like the mangy gang as they go. And yet, and yet they're a part of this. So in that passage that talks about this in, in Luke chapter 2, verse 7, it says, And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Th- this whole scene, the, the Koresh, the, uh, the nativity, some of us grew up calling it the manger scene. Outside of Jesus, it's really the mangy scene. I mean, with everything that's going on. And, and my favorite, some of you are aware of this, my favorites are the shepherds. Because they're not the pretty people. They aren't powerful and persuasive. They don't have it all going on. It's, their lives are a mess. And yet God comes to them and says, I want to declare to you about this son that's given. Because while they have no business being in the Christmas story, what God says to them is, now everybody is welcome. Everybody can be a part of this story. Everybody's welcomed in. And when the angels came to them, they said these words, verse 10, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Not just the perfect people. Not just the people who have it all going on. Not just the people whose children are so obedient and whose spouses are so loving and adoring and whose marriages are so perfect and whose homes look like they're out of some kind of good housekeeping. It's for all the people, even the Spalaccio people. It's good news for them. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born. The only one that really needs a Savior is the one who cannot do it themselves, that needs some outside help. He is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now, forgive me for going too far with the whole playing with the semantics of this. But it seems that the manger one came for the mangy ones. That this one who was sent as a gift from God came for those who needed him most. And the ones who really have no business at all being a part of the Christmas story. Now we've already established that the the first Christmas family in that whole scene those people who are Spalachios. We've already established it. We know some people. Anyone here honest enough to say, there's a little Spalachio in my life? All right, some of you, the rest of you are liars. <laughs> See, that's the human condition. And what, what's so interesting is that we try really hard with our efforts to somehow appear like like we're, we're, we're worthy, we're, we're good enough. It's like putting more ornaments on a tree that's losing all of its needles. It won't cover up the spalachio nature. In fact, in Isaiah, it says, all of, my, all of my righteous acts, all of the things I try to do to prove to God that I'm okay, that I'm worthy, that he ought to accept me, he says, they're spalachio. They're filthy rags. And the Bible says things about us. Like all we like sheep have gone astray. All we like stormy have wandered off from church. (laughs) We've each gone our own way. It would say things like, are there none righteous? No, not even one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's just the human condition that as human beings, every single one of us, spiritually, spalachio. We're the mangy ones. And to us, a son is given. And we've been given what we don't deserve. And here's a little secret I want to tell you about this church. 
Because some of you are here for the first time, some of you are here as guests, some of you come around a couple times a year. Let me tell you the truth about Cornwall Church. And I speak with authority because I've been a part of this church for 30 years. Cornwall Church is filled with spalachios. And I say that not as a judgment. I say it because Cornwall Church's pastor is King Spalachio. <laughs> the mangiest of them all. And the truth is that at this church, we don't have it all together. We're not perfect. We are real people with real stuff following a real Savior, learning how to live in His grace and being transformed into His likeness as we're all in this journey together. Every single one of us. And here's the funny thing. It's that it's only when you come to the realization and acknowledgement that you're a spalaccio, it's only when you can admit it and say, you know what, I'm not perfect, that something good can happen in your life. When, when the angel met with Joseph, he said this about Jesus. Uh, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Not only will he be born in a manger, he will be crucified on a cross, and because of that, our sins can be forgiven. And today, this I know, that God is not impressed with all of our efforts, and he's not repulsed by all of our failures. God's not impressed by all the ornaments we try to hang on our life to prove to him that somehow we're good enough and he doesn't turn away because we have spindly, sagging branches with no needles. He looks at us and he says, I love you. I, I love you. That, that's why I sent my son. That, that the gift is love expressed. Like he says, I, I want to show you how much I love you by, by giving you this son. I don't know if you've ever like, purchased what you think is the perfect gift for someone or made the perfect gift and you're more excited to give it than they are to get it? I mean, you just can't wait? I think in a divine, extrapolated out way, that's God. I mean, you think about this. Sometimes if you've got that gift, you kind of start dropping hints like, I can't wait for you to open this gift. Wait till you see what I got you. Follow this one. 700 years before God gives us, he's dropping hints. I've got the perfect gift. Can't wait for you. It's like 700 years early, God. 700 years. I'm going to give you a son. He even tells you in advance. And then he's so excited. When he finally does give this son, he wants the whole world. He fills the sky with angels to declare this truth. And I believe that he was not only excited 700 years before Jesus was born and on the night that Jesus was born, but today I think God is just as excited because you're here to hear once again how much he loves you. And how he gave his son for you. Such, such a familiar verse. Out of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That God gives his son. And because of that, we celebrate. And billions of people for 2,000 years, have celebrated this gift. The Savior of the world. The Son of God. The Prince of Peace. The Wonderful Counselor. The Mighty God. 
the everlasting Father. And, and here's the great thing about our gathering today is that we can join together in this room and in our community with tens of thousands of others and in our country with millions of others and on our globe with billions of others. And we can celebrate this fact collectively, the gift of the Son. While we can celebrate it collectively, the gift can only be received personally, individually. And every single one of us have to decide, will I receive that gift? Here's the beauty of it, and it's always been this way. That for the people who have no business being a part of God's Christmas story, the Spalaccio people, those are the very people that he invites into the story. And how do we get into the story? It's not just by knowing the story. It's not just by believing the story. It's by receiving the gift. In the book of John, John writes these words, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, to be a son, to be a daughter of God, to have all of the past, our sins, our mistakes, our regrets, our shame, our guilt, all of that to be forgiven. Not because of the resume we turn in, because of all the ornaments we've hung on our life, but because of what Jesus did. A Savior is born. He will save his people from their sins. And it's not just taking care of the past, but this promise that he would walk with us to face whatever we face today. And in our future, that he would never leave us or forsake us. That he would give us the strength and the grace to face whatever we need to face with him. Oh, and then when this life is done, eternity thrown in as well. But you have to decide. Will you receive that gift? That's why we celebrate. That's why this isn't just a cultural, traditional, mythological legend. It changes our lives. I'm going to ask you right now for just a few moments, if you just bow your head and close your eyes, and in the midst of everything that else is going to go on today and tomorrow and the busyness of it all, then maybe this would be the only time you get to just be quiet before God. And for some of you, who understand and receive this gift, that maybe in the quietness of this moment, you would just, in your heart, just as we've sung before, you would just adore him, just worship him. And maybe some of you who right now, you're not really sure about any of this. You're not sure if you're ready to receive a gift or whatever. You're not, you don't know. Maybe you would commit to saying, you know what, this year, I'll, I'll, I'll take some next steps. I'll, I'll look into this. I'll read some scripture. I'll ask some questions. I'll, I'll study the Bible. I'll go to church. And maybe in this quiet moment, you might even just say, okay, Jesus, I don't, I don't even know if this is real, but I want to know. And maybe some of you today are hearing you say, I want to receive the gift. I don't want it just to be a historical event. I want it to be the reality in my life. And if that's where you are, then right today, where you are, in the quietness of your heart, if you pray something along this, and it doesn't have to be these words, but it's, it's your heart's posture and attitude. Jesus, I acknowledge that I can't do it on my own. I acknowledge 
that maybe I've tried, maybe I've failed. I acknowledge that I've done some things I shouldn't have, some things I'm ashamed of, embarrassed of, wrong. And I ask that you would be my Savior, that you would forgive me, not because I have somehow earned that, but Jesus, because of what you have done. And I want to receive this gift, not only of forgiveness, but of life with you. That we would do this life together. And so I'm asking that today, that you would cast out my sin, as the song says, and enter in. That you'd be my forgiver. You'd be my friend. You'd be the leader of my life. I want to follow you and live with this finest gift of Jesus Christ in my life. I pray this in your name. Amen. So we believe if you prayed that prayer in your heart, that it's the beginning of a relationship with the living Jesus Christ. And if you prayed that, we want to encourage you to continue to develop and flourish in that relationship. And if you prayed that prayer, today on your way out, if you just grab one of these New Testaments, it's got a note in here from me, we want to see you grow in your spiritual world. We want to see you get involved in a church. And if you're looking for the perfect church to be a part of, don't come to Cornwall. Because we're not perfect. And you ought to meet their pastor. But if you want a church where there's real people that are pursuing Jesus, this would be a great church. We'd love to have you be a part Love to have you get involved. And if it's not Cornwall, find a church that lifts up the name of Jesus and is founded on the word of God and grow and learn and experience this Christmas is the reality that we live in throughout our life. The finest gift in Jesus Christ. It's such a wonderful thing. That's why I'm so excited that you're here today. And if you've ever been a part of our Christmas Eve services, you know that that we have a tradition around here to end our services uh, with candlelight. And as you came in, there was a candle on your chair. And I ask now that you would pick that up. And we're going to light these symbolic of Jesus being the light of the world. In 2 Corinthians, it says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And so today, as we pass this flame, and here and up in the loft as well, as we pass this flame from one person to the next, I would ask that you would do one thing, is that when you're passing that flame, if your candle is lit, that you would keep it upright and let the unlit candle come in horizontally. If your candle is lit, don't turn it sideways. It's going to drip all over everybody. I'd ask that you stand. We're going to do this. We're going to sing this. And then we'll pray together.
representing the light of the world that came into our lives. And then Jesus says that we are to take that light into a dark world and bring light and hope, joy, healing, and life. And I wonder if maybe we ought to sing that, uh, just the first verse again, just a cappella. If you just sing this out as you hold your candle up. Jesus, thank you for being the light of the world. And not just the light of the world, but the light of our life. And may we take your light and your love and your truth and bring it to this dark world. God, may we as your people be the ones who bring healing, the ones who bring forgiveness, 
the ones who build bridges, the ones who speak up for those who have no voice, the ones who care for the poor, that we would bring light and hope and joy and life to this world, the kingdom of God, because you are our light and our great king. Thank you for this time that we remember and celebrate your birth and the reality of that birth in our lives. We pray in your name. Amen.